second letter of Paul to the Thessalonians, chapter 2. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter that's supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Do not let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember That when I was with you, I used to tell you these things. Legendary football coach of the Miami Dolphin, Don Shula, was holding a press conference one day. And he was asked the question about errors that are made during practice. And here's what he said. We never let an error go unchallenged. Uncorrected errors multiply fast. A reporter then asked him the following question. He said, isn't there a benefit in overlooking a small flaw? Shula shot back and said, what is a small flaw? What is a small flaw? Now, you can think about this for a long, long time, beyond today. What is a small flaw? Every disaster starts small. Every explosion begins with a spark or a tiny gas leak. Every heresy that has come upon the church of Jesus Christ read church history. It began by only taking one tiny step from the truth of the Bible. In fact, this was illustrated in the words of an exasperated wife whose husband was always telling her half-truth when she finally said to him, she said, the problem with your half-truth is that you always tell me the wrong half. (laughs) We pride ourselves in being a pluralistic culture, but do you know what pluralism means? Pluralism is nothing but saying that no one has the truth. But I want you to listen carefully. God said, I am who I am. He did not say, I am who you believe I am. Amen? Amen. I am who I am. And in every epistle, if you read very carefully, of every one of the apostles, Peter and Paul and James and John and Jude, Every one of them have combated small flaws, tiny errors at the time. Because these little deceptions, these half-truths, unless they dealt with legacy split, they cause a great departure from the truth. Why? Because the denial of the truth or the forgetfulness of the truth can lead not just to a small flaw, but disastrous deception. And the Thessalonians 
have been misled by false teachers and by false preachers, by their deception. Some were so wicked to the point of forgery. They actually forged a letter from the, claiming to be from the Apostle Paul and sent it to these poor Thessalonians. And they said that even Paul now is teaching that the second coming of Christ has already taken place. Imagine with me. These people who are beleaguered, these people are persecuted, these are going through these crushing circumstances. Imagine them hearing this in the midst of their difficulty. Imagine their worry. Imagine their anxiety. Imagine them coming unglued. Here they are, trying to be, live faithfully to the Lord and waiting for that great day in which they reign and rule with Christ, living in the expectation of that day of reward. Imagine them as we have seen them. They are increasing in faith. They are growing in love. They are intensifying in their hope of the coming of Christ. But now these deceivers are coming in, shaking them, literally shaking them to the core. And that is why Paul spends time on this chapter, chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians. Here he's exposing the lie. Here he's exposing their deception. Here he's expounding the truth about the second coming of Christ. Because Paul was so eager to alleviate their anxiety that resulted from a lie. And therefore, he gives us details about the return of Christ that really together they have not been put anywhere else in the New Testament. It's so unique to this chapter. And Paul's teaching is so uncharacteristically detailed about the return of Christ that even some commentators, good ones, doubted the authorship of the Apostle Paul of this chapter. And yet, a few months earlier, the Apostle wrote them the first epistle to the Thessalonians, and he taught them about the return of Christ. But you've got to understand, you put yourself in their place. What has happened since the time he wrote the first epistles, there are crushing circumstances. There is the heat of the persecution. There is the pain and suffering. And when they were facing this pain and suffering, they begin to wonder, could be possibly we missed out on it. Could be possibly that this letter is from Paul. Now, my beloved friend, listen to me. If you know and I know that when we go through tough circumstances, when we go through these difficult circumstances in life, our minds play havoc on us. Our hearts can come unglued. In fact, we entertain fear and anxiety when we are going through these crushing circumstances. And yes, even doubt. And Satan takes this opportunity of these circumstances that we go through, and there he starts throwing his fiery dart on top of that. And these believing Christians here in Thessalonica were so shaken by their crushing circumstances that these false teachers took advantage of that, and they began to hammer away at them. Those deceivers took direct aim at assaulting them further. These false teachers played on their confusion by claiming that Paul, too, now is teaching that the second coming has happened. And so the Apostle Paul gives them detailed description of what must take place immediately before the return of Christ. He gives them detailed description of the Antichrist. He gives them detailed description of apostasy or rebellion against the truth. Now, most of the first century Christians were familiar with the Antichrist. This is not something new. They understood it because Daniel prophesied it, 
And then it was expounded upon by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In fact, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 15. He said, when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet who? Daniel. So the Lord Jesus expounding on what Daniel said. Let the reader understand. Here is biblical truth. There has always been evil leaders in the world. There were evil leaders in first century Rome. There were evil leaders in the 20th century. Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin. But the final Antichrist is going to surpass them all. He is known through the Scripture by many names. In fact, here in 2 Thessalonians, there are several names to him. If you look at verse 3, he's named the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction. In verse 8, the lawless one. In verse 9, the one whose activities are according to Satan. In fact, it's the Apostle John in his first epistle, chapter 2, verse 18, that he calls him the Antichrist. And the word Antichrist is a Greek compound word that made of a preposition and a, a noun. Anti means against Christ. Anti means opposed to Christ. Anti means usurper of Christ's place. And John said there were many Antichrists with the small a, but there's going to be an Antichrist with the capital A. Anyone who opposes the person of Christ or opposes the work of Christ, or opposes the divinity of Christ, or opposes the uniqueness of Christ, that person is manifesting the spirit of the Antichrist. But the final Antichrist is going to combine the worst characteristics of all these little Antichrists. Ever since Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Satan has been working over time to thwart the God's plan of salvation. I mean, he's never stopped. Ever since the Garden of Eden and, and Adam and Eve, Satan wanted to stop the birth of the Messiah. Look how many times he tried to destroy the people of Israel. Pharaoh in Egypt and Haman in Persia. And every time he tried to wipe them out the face of the earth, he failed miserably. Do you know why? Because from the loins of some of those is going to come the Messiah, the Son of God. And even at the birth of the Messiah... Satan caused King Herod to kill all those babies. He did not know which baby, so he killed them all. God intervened, and he took Mary and Joseph and Jesus into wisdom into Egypt until Herod died. And even when Jesus began his ministry in Nazareth, you read about it in Luke chapter 4. He goes to the synagogue, and he reads the Scripture. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He anointed me to preach. And then all of a sudden he says, this scripture has been fulfilled in your own ears. I am he that you're waiting for. And you know what they did? They came and they took him out of the synagogue and took him up on a sheer cliff outside of Nazareth. And they want to push him out. Supernaturally, the Lord Jesus Christ moved away. And, and they were foiled once again. And even on the cross, even on the cross... When Jesus died on that cross, Satan and his demons were celebrating in hell, but only for three days. Because on that third day, Jesus Christ rose from the dead with every sign of his omnipotence. Amen. Amen. 
And in the last 2,000 years, Satan has been trying to thwart God's work by unleashing his venom, by unleashing his hatred toward Jesus' people. Everywhere in the world today, Christians are harassed, are persecuted. We couldn't have said that 50 years ago, but I can tell you now. And his final last push will be a person who's going to be his toy, is going to be his instrument, is going to be his puppet. And that person will manipulate people. He will be doing Satan's bidding. And Daniel described this Antichrist as the little horn who will rise from obscurity. Nobody will know where he came from. And he's going to rise into the world stage, into, into prominence. He will be a very intelligent person. He will be a very intellectual person. He's going to be a very articulate person. He's going to be a global leader. He will be like no one ever in history before him. He's even going to change times. He's going to change the laws and the seasons. He will replace religious ceremonies and holidays with new ones that honor him. Uh, He will introduce satanic-inspired morality and calls it good. And Daniel chapter 8 verse 23 describes him as insolent. He will be very skilled in manipulating and intimidating and intrigue. He will use double talk. And you don't know which side of his mouth he's be talking. He's going to mesmerize people with his shrewdness. He will derive all of his power from Satan, from behind the scene. For in Daniel 7, 26, it says that he will not be able to be stopped by any human being. Only God is going to stop him. He will first appear as a benefactor of Israel. He will appear as a very sympathetic creature, uh, sympathetic to all groups. He will identify himself with everybody. As a matter of fact, in the vernacular, would say, he would say to the Christians, I'm one of you, I'm a Christian. With the Muslims, hey, I'm one with you, I think you're great. With the Jews, he said, oh, your teaching is wonderful. With the atheists and the agnostics and all the others, he said, oh, I feel your pain. But then... Halfway through his reign, he's going to take off the mask of being sympathetic and being understanding. He's going to take it off. The mask is going to come off. He's going to reveal his true identity. In fact, that's what Jesus meant in Matthew 24, 15. The abomination that causes desolation. Thank God this reign of terror is short-lived according to the Scripture. Revelation 19.20, the Lord will destroy the Antichrist and his kingdom by the breath of his mouth. And Paul is encouraging believers here in Thessalonica. He is saying, don't panic about these things. Don't panic. Don't be so quickly shaken from your composure. Another translation says, don't become easily unsettled. You see, Paul, unlike some of the end-time preachers of our day, his desire is not sensationalism. His motive is not to satisfy their curiosity. His longing is to comfort them, not confuse them. His longing is to encourage them, not unsettle them. His longing is to correct the error. His longing is to restore their joy and their peace that was stolen by these false preachers. 
He said, verse 3, let no one deceive you. Why is that so important? Listen to me. Because deception, and if any of us have ever walked in our walk, God deceived a little bit here, a little bit there, you'll understand what I'm trying to say. Deception can easily lead to anxiety and fear. Uh, Deception can lead to the abandonment in one's conviction. Deception can be very disheartening in standing firm and walking daily with the Lord. And that's what these dear people in Thessalonica were going through. Him out on this one. I want to tell you, sadly, deception is commonplace in the church of Jesus Christ today. Why? Because Satan appears as an angel of light. You see, somebody said, Satan is no longer fighting the churches. He's joining them. And these charlatans have robbed the Thessalonians of their joy. They robbed them of their peace. And the Apostle Paul here is trying to restore that joy and peace. Not only must the Antichrist appear immediately before the return of Christ. Again, verse 3, look at it again. He said, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. This is, in Greek, is called double negative. And to put it in the vernacular, don't let anybody at any time and any circumstances in any way deceive you. (laughs) For the day of the Lord will not come until rebellion occurs. What is that rebellion? The Greek word apostasia, from which we get apostasy. That's the word used here. And the Apostle Paul does not deny the fact that the parousia, the return of Christ, is going to come suddenly, especially for those who are unprepared and those who are unsuspecting. In verse 5, you see even Paul's disappointment that they had forgotten what he really taught them on the subject. He said, I mean, remember, I told you these things when I was with you about the rebellion and about the Antichrist. I wish we had that teaching here because we don't know what it is in details. But he alludes to it. So what is apostasy? What is he talking about? Apostasy is a word that means revolt. It means uh, rebellion. So what does it mean here? Listen to me. This is not the same as people who have never heard of Jesus. It's not the same as people who never heard the gospel. It's not the same as people who don't know what salvation is. No, 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 no. These are the people who knew the truth. These are the people who understood the gospel. These are the people even for a time pretended to believe it. But these people are like a soldier who has defected from his troop to the enemy side. Join the troops of the enemy. They're like a soldier who for some reason turned his back on his commanding officer and joined the enemy. It appears to me personally that in the past several years... Where I'm sitting and the books that I read and, and the websites that I read and, and the things that I read, at least appears to me there's not a single month that goes by without hearing of a pastor or a church who have defected from the truth. Big evangelical charismatic churches that were standing for the truth one day, all of a sudden... They go from believing the gospel and that Jesus the only way to salvation to believing that there are many ways to God. And they make it public. They are defecting from the truth, declaring that all ways will lead to God. God does not have just one way. 
Now, I'm not announcing that apostasy is here, and that's why I'm concerned. I am not announcing anything like this, but at least you understand what Paul is talking about and how it could happen. We certainly are seeing it now like we have not seen it in any time, at least from the little history that I know. It is fashionable for mega church pastors to say, yes, Jesus is my Savior, but He's not everyone's Savior. Really? Do you realize what they're saying? They're saying that Jesus is a liar. You say, Michael, that's strong. But look, it's the truth. If Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the only giver of eternal life, and they said, no, he's only my Savior, but not the Buddhist and the Hindu and the Muslim else's Savior, they are saying Jesus is lying. I want to encourage you in every way, as politely and as lovingly as you know how. When you hear that, challenge it. Don't let it go unchallenged. For this is a blasphemy of unprecedented magnitude. This is the fight of the hour, of our time. And we must not acquiesce or give in or just keep quiet. So what is the relationship between apostasy and the Antichrist? Why did Paul put them together? Because apostasy or turning away from the truth of the gospel is going to prepare the way for the Antichrist. Apostasy is going to be plowing the soil of a culture and society and of the world for the Antichrist to plant his seed. Apostasy will encourage, actually, the Antichrist to reveal his true identity, to give up the pretense. Apostasy is going to egg the Antichrist on to finally come clean and say who he is. Apostasy will support and motivate the Antichrist to reveal his wicked character. Listen to me. When absolutes are rejected even by churchgoers, when the truth of salvation in Christ alone is marked even by those who claim to be Christians, when moral laws are replaced by alternative lifestyles, and for even from pulpits, when marriage laws are marked and rejected and replaced by lawlessness by church leaders, The Antichrist doesn't have to pretend anymore. He doesn't have to pretend. He pretends halfway through. I feel your pain. I'm with you. You're a Christian. I'm a Christian. You're a Muslim. I'm Muslim. I'm Hindu. I'm, I'm with you. He doesn't have to pretend anymore. He doesn't have to pretend to be moral anymore. He doesn't have to pretend to be religious anymore. He doesn't have to pretend to be sympathetic with everyone. He's going to throw off, like somebody literally throw off the clothes. He's going to throw off his robe of pretense and finally come out of his closet, as it were. After all, by that time, apostasy has paved the way, and very few are going to be faithful ones. The remnant holding on to the truth. By that time, apostasy has infected even so many of the churchgoers. Not the elect of Christ, of course. Not the remnant. The Bible said he's not only the man of lawlessness. But in verse 3 again, literal translation is the son of destruction. 
I know the NIV said doomed to destruction. The son of destruction. Did you know there's only once in the Bible that that term has been given to somebody else other than the Antichrist? Did you know that? The son of destruction was given only to one person. Can you guess? Judas. He's the only one in the New Testament that was given that title other than the Antichrist. But listen, for three years, Judas was one of the disciples of Jesus. Judas was as close to Jesus as the other disciples. For three years, he was privileged to firsthand see the sinlessness of Jesus, to see the righteousness of Jesus, to see the wisdom of Jesus, to see the miracles of Jesus, to see the teaching of Jesus, to see the wisdom of Jesus. And yet, he betrayed him with 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. Judas betrayed the Son of God. And the Antichrist will claim to be God. Judas defiled the temple with the blood money that he received, and the Antichrist would desecrate those who are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the believers, when he tries to beat them into submission, to force them to worship him, and they will stand firm. What is a small flaw? What's a small flaw? I don't know where you are. I don't know what the small flaw in your life Oh, I know the small flaws that the devil tried to bring into my life. I know those. Beloved, let me tell you something. Every person who is into worshiping self, every person who is total focus is self. Every person who is total attention is given to self. When your hours and and your monies and, and everything is on self, I want to tell you something. In some way, in many ways, you have the spirit of Antichrist. And as a person, I want to challenge you today to repent of that. Come to the Lord while you can. Come to the Lord while there is time. You can repent of that today. Surrender that self to Him and let Him fill it with His Holy Spirit in order to bring you eternal life and life in Christ, not only in this life, but in the life to come. Turn away. Turn away. Turn away. Because the Antichrist will get tired of pretense and halfway through his terms, halfway through his reign, he will abandon pretense. The second half of his rule, he will come out and say, it's all about me. It has always been all about me. I just told you that in the beginning. But everyone who had put their whole faith in the Lord Jesus Christ Everyone who trusts no one else for salvation except Jesus Christ need not fear that day. In fact, the opposite is true. The opposite is true. When we see these signs, we should be rejoicing and we should be celebrating. We're longing in our hearts, looking forward to that day because it means that the day of our redemption is drawing nigh. Amen. 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 Give God glory. Give God glory. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.